do them yourself and like get those oh, stickers yeah, they, and they look they look real easy to do. They look easy. Like most yeah. home improvements, I'm sure I'm gonna fuck it up royally <laughs> right away. Oh yeah. Well, and then be ripping stickers my... off of our you know, our our <laughs> our walls did, and ripping did I the tell wall you off. My story of installing deadbolts? No, no, but I I, I that's oh. one thing I actually did not screw up. Oh my god, I had such a fucking hard time. <laughs> this was a two day adventure. For me to install deadbolts. I, I put one on the back door and I put one on the front door. The front door, we got like a nice smart one. Yeah, that's what I got. Um, ooh, what one did you get? The the schlange or the schlan, the schlong, <laughs> the schlong. You got the schlong? The schlong and it's got Wi-Fi and it doesn't need a hub. I forget what it's called, but. The one we got was the uh, Google Nest Yale lock. Yeah, yeah. I was looking it, at that one, yeah. D- does yours come with the ability to do uh, guest codes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can set up all that through my app. Yeah. Yeah, we, we can do that too, but I'm thinking of like, when would we ever need that? Well, you know, you have a you have a dog. So if you ever have like a dog walker, who you know, if you guys go out of town and you or you know for the weekend or something, and I don't know, a dog walker has to come by or or a house sitter of any sort. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, not a bad idea. Okay, when you're out of town, an emergency. Well, you want to get started? Might as well get started. All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. (laughs) It's a show about one thing: watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 8, Episode 7, The Checks. Uh, But before that, I am very curious to find out what of the past 10 minutes of us talking Ted is included in (laughs) in the editing of this episode. Because some of it really was gold. I I was having a good time. I'm going to uh, I'm going to try and see what I can <laughs> save. Uh I'm sure I will cut out a lot of the silences and maybe talking about our features of our smart deadbolts. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's probably where it started petering out. <laughs> Not that I wasn't interested, but I think other people might. <laughs> might I mean, wonder. we definitely we definitely have to keep in uh you calling your smart deadbolt a schlong though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my schlong. <laughs> First thing I did when I got this house, I put in a nice big schlong. Tim, who all has the code for your schlong? Uh, Sarah has one, and, and I have one. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Wait, do you guys have your own codes? Yeah. Really? Yeah. See, uh, Grace and I just have the one code, but it was a, a mutually agreed upon code <laughs> that we laugh about every time that we enter it. And no, it is not 696969. Ah. And is it Bosco? It is not. Oh, because that would have been a great you reference and a great Seinfeld reference. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't try to guess your uh, your 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 smart code. <laughs> but we wanted to know what's the deal with stuff from our last episode, the fatigues. And I was curious about all the Jewish food mentioned in the episode. So here's a quick rundown. Oh, well, now that I'm scrolling, it may not be that quick. But here's a rundown oh, God. Okay. <laughs> of all the Jewish food mentioned in the episode, starting with when Kramer asked Elaine at Monks, do you like simmies? And what those are, are traditional. it's a traditional Jewish side dish. It's not a plural thing. It's a singular. So simis is a traditional Jewish side dish made with sweet root vegetables. Preparations often include carrots, sweet potatoes, yams, and dried fruits. Then later, he tells Jerry, I got three kitchens going. I got brisket going at Newman's. I got Kugel working at Mrs. Amfino's. And this is Kreplock. Brisket, as everyone knows, is, is a popular dish of braised beef brisket, which I've always found... You know, I always associate beef brisket with like barbecue joints and stuff. So whenever yeah. it's talked about in Jewish culture, I've always assumed it was something different, but it's not. It's just like slow cooked beef. And I don't know where the crossover is between, 
you know, like Southern barbecue and Jewish barbecue. My guess is, is that, as it said later, it was an inexpensive cut of meat. And so, you know, the South, a typical, you know, there's, uh, there's typically, you know, can be poor, you know, people looking to stretch the dollar. And so that might've been where barbecue came from. And the same thing with, uh, you know, Jewish people, Jewish immigrants and stuff like that, maybe trying to make things go a little bit farther. So brisket is just, you know, slow cooked beef. And as Julia Moskin, reporter for the New York Times said, brisket is implicitly kosher since it is from the front of the animal. And that's the other thing that confused me about it because I don't know kosher rules. And I'm like, well, beef is is kosher, but I, I don't know. And it's cheap and anything that takes a long time to cook that cannot be grilled has challenges, especially in a restaurant. But uh, that's why it's a, a Jewish recipe. And kugel is, at its core, a baked casserole with a starch, usually noodles or potatoes and eggs and fat. While that's its base, kugels have many variations from savory to sweet. Uh, let me see. Oh, and kreplock are small dumplings filled with ground meat, mashed potatoes, or another filling, usually boiled and served in chicken soup, though they may also be served fried. This may sound similar to a Polish food that you know of called uzka, which is kind of like a smaller, twisted version of a pierogi. Uh, It's kind of like Italian ravioli or tortellini or Chinese wonton. It's like the Jewish version of of any of those food. I can say the only thing out of all of those that I've heard of are wontons and pierogies. Yeah, well, you know ravioli and tortellini. Well, okay, yes, I do. (laughs) At Jewish Singles Night, Jerry asks Elaine, have you tried the hamantaschen? And Elaine says, I can't get off the kishkas. Uh, Hamantaschen are triangular filled pocket cookies made with many different fillings, which are traditionally sweet, but savory varieties exist as well. Uh, There's poppy seed, which we know Elaine's a big fan of, so maybe she should try the hamantaschen. There's one with prune jam. Uh, you know, basically anything you can think of, they shove in this little triangular filled pocket <laughs> cookie. Kishka, which has been mentioned in the Seinfeld universe, universe before, refers to various types of sausage or stuffed intestine with a filling made from a combination of meat and meal, often a grain, uh, kind of like blood sausage. In a, uh, It's been compared to. Mm, and then okay. finally, he tells Frank, you know, these latkes are going like hotcakes. And as I kind of mentioned, but uh, still want to confirm here, latka is a type of potato pancake or fritter. And they can be made with ingredients other than potatoes, including cheese and zucchini. But most often, you know, that it's potato. So that's all the Jewish food that was mentioned in the episode. As I was researching it, I was like, man, this sounds delicious. And I started Googling Jewish restaurants near me. I was like, I've, I've never even known if <laughs> such a thing exists, but I think. I think I found maybe a couple, but, you know, they're not, it's nothing, it looks like I can get delivered or anything. So it might be something uh. to explore, yeah, a little bit later on, or or if they're even open, I don't know. Uh, I didn't dive too far into that, but I was like, man, I really want to go to a, a restaurant that serves this kind of food, because it all sounds pretty great. What else we got? Oh, Frank spent time cook- in the Army cooking for the Fighting 103rd, and I wanted to know if that was a real regiment or battalion or anything that served, uh, you know, in Korea, in the Army, and... I think I, the closest I can get is the 103rd Field Artillery Regiment of the U.S. Army, originally con, uh, constituted in 1917, but it descends uh, from predecessor units dating back to 1801. So the Fighting 103rd fought in the Civil War. Uh, they're from Rhode Island, so the good side. Uh, World War One, World War Two, and shortly after the outbreak of the Korean War in June of 1950, the 103rd were ordered into active federal service and spent three years in Germany replacing regular army units which had been sent to fight in Korea. So for what I get from that is the 103rd were in Germany, not Korea, but Frank's story takes place in Incheon, Korea in 1950. So I think that's kind of a discrepancy there uh, and not completely, you know, so Frank's story wasn't the fictional story in the show 
wasn't necessarily accurate, I found uh, out. Okay. Yeah, because they were in Germany. So troops that were stationed in Germany went to Korea, so these guys slid into their bunks, I guess, in, in Germany. <laughs> um, the uh, cur- only currently existing component is a unit of the Rhode Island National Guard, and they do have, I got to admit, I got to say, a boss. This is like the second or third, maybe just the second, because uh, I remember the busboy had an awesome like U.S. Army insignia patch shirt that I was looking for. And these guys also have a boss insignia patch. It's like a red field with a yellow chevron and six fleur-de-lis above it. And then underneath that is like a cannon with some cannonballs and a pyramid stack. But there's a banner under the banner underneath says, play the game. I'm like, what kind of awesome Game of Thrones <laughs> like what in the slogan world? is that for a, a, a regiment of the uh, U.S. military? Play the game. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. So was Frank's flashback, we also wanted to know, an homage to a specific movie. The answer is yes and no. Frank's memory is uh, dramatized with music set to Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. And that is the same music that's used in the movie Platoon. However, the writers of the episode said they weren't trying to parody any film in particular, but just war films in general. So I guess parody failed successfully. (laughs) I don't know. I I would say so. I mean, it it felt like it was something specific, but it definitely felt like it was from a war film, right? Yeah. It it seems to me maybe these guys were like, they just wrote the scene and like, yeah, and then then put some music behind it. And whoever's in charge of music is like, oh, we can get Adagio for strings. I'm going to make this uh, real dramatic. It's going to be sad. Yeah. Yeah. Or or maybe the person even knew like, oh, I I can get this music from Platoon. And then, you know. And they were like, fine, that sounds great, do it, you know. But they had no idea that it was an actual, you know, kind of, uh, you know, used in, the, in an actual very famous war movie. Uh, the writers were Greg Cavett and Andy Robin. And so that's all, all of our homework from last time. But here's some other trivia and tidbits. And they said this is the episode that had the most painful editing stage of any Seinfeld episode they worked on. The film content ran way over the allotted 23 minutes. And they said that the broadcast cut felt like a bare bones run through of the essential plot points. Hmm. At least one piece of deleted content was cut for reasons other than length, though. I'm so glad that this cut was made. Initially, Frank's flashback scene included close up of the soldiers spewing vomit towards the camera. Are you kidding me? (laughs) With a plastic shield to prevent the camera lens from, you know, actually being dirty. Jesus Christ. And the network saw it and they were like, uh, no. (laughs) Who? Who would think that is a good idea in the first place? I don't know. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, that would have... And I'm so glad that they filmed it with, like, actual... (laughs) Like, no actual vomit. Like, they're they're blowing chunks into their hats or off camera. Like, but directly at the camera lens would have been just a a little much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And director Andy Ackerman said, in retrospect, that was the right decision. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, never mind. I won't go into Falcon and Winter Soldier spoilers oh, for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I still have, by the way, I've been meaning to tell you this, and luckily it's still the case for the past two weeks. Um, I got up to episode eight of WandaVision. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm like, all right. So I watched, I actually got up to number seven and I was like, oh man, I have time to watch number eight and finish the series. And then episode eight ended and uh, this isn't spoiling anything for anybody, but somebody says, you're the Scarlet Witch. And then the episode ends and I'm like. Wow, they really, um, they really <laughs> ended the series on a big cliffhanger. There, it seems like we have, and then, and then, like an after credits thing start went, and after credits thing started, and they're like, move in, and I was like, wow, that seems like it's setting up something too that I kind of wish that they, and then, and then episode nine started counting down, and I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> 
and now it's been like two weeks. I thought I was, I thought I was like killing the whole series. I was like, yes, I can finally finish. And then, I, I mean, and so I'm, I'm disappointed, but I'm also happy that at least there was one more episode, and they didn't end on this random, like right in the middle of a, a fight or whatever. I'm like, huh? <laughs> What a weird place to end the series. I, I, well, was episode nine out already whenever yeah. you, oh, you yeah, started yeah. watching it, right? Oh, yeah, everything's out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what made you think episode eight was the series finale? It's just a nice round number. It seems like a lot of limited <laughs> series, they don't go to nine episodes. You know, they'll go to eight. Um, or ten. Yeah, eight or ten. Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. you don't end on nine. I, I and... agree. Nine, nine is definitely weird, but... Oh my god. Yeah. Could you imagine if they did end the series with You're the Scarlet Witch? Roll credits, Roll no credits. stinger. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Or but even the sting like there is a little stinger and it's like <laughs> it's also setting up something huge. It's like move in. And it's like, well, man, I really wish I really I think we could use one more episode. Uh, that's a weird place to end the series. <laughs> and then god what do you know? Damn. What do you know? <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, well, crap, I don't know when I'm going to be able to watch because it's always like two or three weeks in between me being able to even watch like a 30 minute episode on my own. So, uh, yeah, can't wait to find out what happens. there. Yeah. Well, with uh, when you finally get to Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, there's uh, as the time of the record, there's four episodes out. Once this is released, the fifth one will have just come out mm-hmm. uh, a couple of days ago. Give it time. Because we just finished episode four, and that's the first episode I felt that was really good. Ah. Yeah, it seems like they might have had a little more to set up there. Like, WandaVision seemed like more of a mystery, like, what's going on here? And they left little crumbs. Yeah. And and that one seems like, all right, we got to, you know, start up an actual universe. Like, that was its own universe, and they were like, all right, we got to... We got to plug this into something that's that's just my my guess based on what it looks like. It doesn't look like WandaVision at all. It looks like more in the vein of like an Agents of Shield or an actual. Yeah. Well, like, they um, they had to. Uh, I don't think this is a spoiler because it's like news that Marvel and Disney had to do. They had to release a uh, graphic violence warning for this ooh, episode. Ooh. Okay. Um, yeah, I plan on getting to the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier right as Loki is wrapping up. So that's probably when I'm going to be able to, probably right as I'm going to be able to start. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. I've been unemployed for over four months. Uh, actually, I, I think over five months now. And I have binged through three and a half seasons of BoJack Horseman hey. in uh, six days. Uh, well, at least that's a nice uplifting show. I've heard there's a lot of. I mean, yeah. I know it's I know it's funny, but also it's probably pretty depress. I know it's pretty depressing at points too. I wanted to watch it like back in like January or February, but I told Grace, I'm like, you know, I'm not <laughs> in the right mental headspace to watch this show right yeah. now. It's yeah, yeah. it's going to be so depressing. <laughs> I don't think I've made any uh, progress in that in that area, but it's. Uh, it, it's a really good show if you've yeah. never watched it. No, I, I haven't, but that's that's on the long and getting longer list of things <laughs> I will never, ever catch up on but want to. <laughs> I'm just hoping they have Netflix in heaven. That's all I hope. Or hell, whichever. Or limbo. Or whatever. That sounds like something that's printed on the coffee cup of like a wine mom or something. Yeah, yeah. I hope they have Netflix in heaven. <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, here's more trivia and tidbits. While most of the risk management book's quoted text was written by Cavett and Robin, uh, Jason Alexander added on the line, I guess during recording, and what makes it so risky? So chapter one, in order to manage risk, we must first understand risk. How do you spot risk? How do you avoid risk? And what makes it so risky? So that he added that in as I, I guess a, you know, they don't improv a ton on, on Seinfeld, but that sounds like yeah. one that made it in, which is pretty funny. <laughs> what makes it so risky? <laughs> we had a little issue with this when we talked about it on the show because I was like, that doesn't seem like a really big deal. But apparently, a prof- this is from the DVD audio commentary uh, that the writers did, I think. A professional chef was hired for the sole purpose of performing Frank's one-handed egg cracking, but he couldn't do it when they started filming. And after numerous takes with messy egg crackings, the egg was cracked by a member of the production crew. So oh, the chef couldn't even do it. my God. <laughs> And then just some union guy was hey, like, let me hey. do that crack. There we go. Hey, Tim. Yeah. Talk about cracking under pressure. Oh, boy. <laughs> God damn. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Or should I say not cracking under pressure? No, the chef definitely cracked under pressure. So, yeah. <laughs> but he couldn't crack. But he the couldn't egg, crack. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't <laughs> crack under pressure. I don't know. <laughs> I think we had it right the first time. Uh, interestingly enough, this episode won Best Episodic Comedy at the... Won the writers, Cabin and Robin, uh, the Best Episodic Comedy at the Writers Guild of America Awards in 1997. Hmm, okay. Yeah, beating, among other shows, two other episodes of Seinfeld, Bizarro Jerry and The Chicken Roaster, which is uh, not the episode we're going to be talking about today, but the one after the episode we're going to be talking about today so and jerry stiller received an emmy nomination for outstanding guest actor partly based on his performance in the fatigues uh at the emmys that year but uh, he lost to mel brooks as uncle phil on mad about you oh man yeah in the episode titled the penis interestingly enough <laughs> <laughs> mad about you or penis yeah yeah the episode I don't I don't remember uh, I don't remember anything about that but I guess it must have been hilarious and let me see oh I found this out about um, I don't know what oh I don't I don't I don't know why I started googling this but I I had a feeling there was a a deeper layer to Kramer holding the Jewish Singles Night at the Knights of Columbus Hall and I was right because the Knights of Columbus is a global Catholic fraternal service order and membership is composed of and limited to practicing Catholic men. So there's a couple of interesting, yeah. Wow. So I knew there was a little joke in there about, <laughs> you know, a Knights of Columbus Hall hosting a Jewish singles night. And so that's kind of funny. Oh, and also like underneath the banner reading, Welcome Jewish Singles, you can see two Christian crosses hanging on the wall, which I totally missed. But uh, I saw in like the trivia or whatever on IMDb later on. And so there's a couple different levels to this. That's kind of funny. But also Frank being a Knight of Columbus confirms, at least for now, that the stanzas are Roman Catholic. One can assume they were since Frank was born in Italy, which is a predominantly Catholic country, but he's also been like cooking kashkas and other and other um, you know, Jewish things have been sort of circling around the Costanzas every now and then, but also uh, you know, they have that that very Italian last name and as Jerry Stiller said in an interview a long time ago, um, they're an Italian family in the or maybe a Jewish family in the witness protection program or reverse that, whatever the case, you know, they're like, they're just kind of a mix of both in, in one way or another, but it involves a witness protection program. And here's the other interesting. So the Knights of Columbus building is actually a Masonic hall and the Catholic church, which of course the Knights of Columbus is composed entirely of the Catholic church forbids members from being Freemasons. Really? 
Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So another interesting layer there to the whole deal. Just a couple more things. In this episode, it's revealed that Frank hasn't cooked since he was in Korea, but back in Season 6, Episode 17, The Doorman, George complains about his father making kishka, again, a Jewish dish, uh, when he moves in with George, you might remember. Uh, so he has cooked uh, since Korea. Yeah. Unwatchable blunders. I know. And get get ready for this. Jerry, and, and I don't think this is as big a blunder, but Jerry says he doesn't like duck, but back in Season 6, Episode 5, he orders duck at Poppy's Restaurant. Yep. <sighs> Did they think we wouldn't notice these things? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, that's not totally a continuity error because you can not like something and go, well, I've, I've heard it's good here. Maybe I'll try it. Or, or you know, maybe, I, maybe I've never had a good one and people say this one's good. And then, like, maybe he got it back at Poppy's and he was like, no, nah, that settles it. I'm, I'm off duck, you know. Maybe, you know, Poppy didn't wash his hands. So, you know, he was like, oh, you know, that just sometimes you have – sometimes you like something and then you have a bad experience with it. Like, you found a hair in it one time or something. And you're like, oh, I, I can never eat that again just because of that hair. I know oh, it yeah. tastes good and I know – Nothing else may have hair in it, but it just put me off it forever. So maybe that's why he doesn't like like duck. Um, and that's it for, for trivia and tidbits and stuff. All right. Uh, any news or anything? We do have uh, a couple of things. First of all, we have to pay our respects to Walter Olkowitz, the actor who oh, was, yeah. was uh, who played Jacques Renault in Twin Peaks, the sleazy bartender, oil refinery worker Dougie Boudreau in TV's Grace Under Fire, and... The cable guy who infuriated Kramer in Seinfeld. He passed away at the age of 72 uh, the week we're recording this, uh, the Tuesday before we recorded this, I guess, in his Los Angeles area home following a prolonged illness in a 1996 episode, The Cadillac, which was season seven, episodes 14 and 15. Uh, Olkowitz played Nick, the plaza cable worker who antagonizes Kramer, and the intense feud ended in a cable guy Kramer embrace. He is was also, I remember him from this, He's the mob lawyer who kills himself at the beginning of the 1994 legal thriller, The Client. I don't mm, know if you ever I saw that. that. Yeah, no. yeah, it's a, it's a good one. So, And I, we also have to mention this because someone tweeted this at us a long time ago, and I don't think we ever mentioned it, but Wendell Meldrum, who played the low talker in season five, episode two, died after a short illness back in January. Uh, her obituary wasn't published until March 13th, though. And soon after that, someone was like, oh, you know, we have another death. And I don't think we ever uh, got around to mentioning it. So I uh, want to mention the low talker as well who passed away. And oh, one. OK, two last bits of news. A copy of Action Comics number one, which has been on Jerry Seinfeld's refrigerator for, I don't know, at least a season and a half featuring the first appearance of Superman sold for three point twenty five million dollars. So I guess it's like the most expensive comic book ever sold now. It narrowly bested the previous record set in another auction of another copy of Action Comics number one in 2014, which sold for slightly over $3.2 million. So uh, just some Action Comics number one news, considering we see it in every episode. And, and the last thing that we have to talk about is, for some reason, this week, the internet became obsessed with the fact that Jerry's hallway cannot exist. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to if you didn't. Because yeah. this was a thing that we talked about a long time ago. A long yeah. time ago. Like almost immediately. Like season yeah. one, maybe. I think I I'm I remember I brought it up to you and you're like, huh, I guess I, I never really thought about that. And I told you like his doorway is on a slant and then it goes into where his kitchen is, and his yeah. kitchen juts out into where the hallway would be. Mm-hmm. But uh, once it like started blowing up, I think it was um, I think it was Cat 
who tagged us both in something on Instagram of it. I'm like, I'm wondering if the person who posted that on Reddit has listened to the show? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be, like, I've been looking at a lot of the Reddit threads about it because the subreddit was just like, that's all it was. Oh, even now, that's all it is. Yeah. And, like, memes about that and parodies of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good and, Christ. And I totally agree with the people who are are, are putting the kibosh, to use a, uh, a Seinfeldism, uh, putting the kibosh on the theory that, like, you know, people have the, the schematics and they draw the, the hallway at an L shape. And I'm like, no, that, that hallway has been on camera many times. And there's like two or three doors before you actually get to Jerry and Kramer's at the end of the hallway. So that's not the way it works. It's it's an impossible hallway. You know, we've yeah, been in that even, hallway many times and it's very long. Even um, the woman, his next door neighbor, whose boyfriend was in a coma, who he, he hooked up with, I think. Remember? Yeah, yeah. That door like, is in his kitchen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they also brought up something else that I that I know we've also brought up is that the entrance to the diner can't exist either. That entrance to monks can't exist anywhere on that building. You know, we were like, where is that? It's like this weird L-shaped entrance that kind of juts out from the yeah. the into the sidewalk and like, you know, we've we've theorized like maybe it's in the alleyway behind it or something like <laughs> But then we, we've heard him talk about, oh, there's a car parked right out front or whatever. So it's definitely supposed to be that street, but that door is not the same as... It is not. Yeah. No. It's it's remarkable how little effort went into either finding B-roll that looked like the sets they were building <laughs> or building sets to match the B-roll that they found. Whichever, yeah. whichever came first, you know, whichever was top priority. Yeah, yeah. Several times. I'm sure they built the sets first and then they were like, all right, go out and... Or just go into the library and find some some B-roll that'll fit this, and and they failed <laughs> miserably. But yeah, the, the hallway is just a, a physical impossibility, and it's just something the show has lived with. Oh, I remember what I was people, you know, talking about when... So I was delving into the comments, and people were like, oh, I remember in, in MIRC chats, which was like internet chatting post-AOL, but pre the rest of the internet. It was like, it, it was internet relay chat. It was like oh, chatting. God. They were like, oh, I remember on MIRC, people bringing this up in Seinfeld chat rooms. So... <laughs> That would have been like, you know, 19, like literally as the show was airing. So I, I don't know why it happened to capture, as I say, the zeitgeist this week. But everybody was, it just really wow. caught fire. I know, I know. The zeitgeist was all about Jerry's hallway this week. And I, I think we've said everything we need to say about it before this episode. But we just had to bring up the fact <laughs> that it was being talked about again. Oh, man. I, um, I, I, I. I thought I had something else, but I don't think I do now. Maybe maybe it got covered. Maybe it was just an extended rant on the hallway. Oh, no. You know what I was going to say was uh, at the time of recording this, I don't think I had told you this, but the WWE Network has since absolved, and now I'm using your Peacock account <laughs> to watch WrestleMania. I was, I, was, I was actually hoping you still had that, because I get the emails, and they're like, wrestling on Peacock this weekend, and I was like, I should, I was like, I know Ted knows about this, <laughs> but I should forward it to him just to see if he knows it's all on, oh, yeah. on oh, Peacock yeah. it, now. And, it, it's, yeah. been, it's been a big, uh, big push. They, they signed a, a five-year deal for U.S. exclusivity <laughs> for a billion dollars. Wow. And it is shit. Oh, like, no. <laughs> the interface of how it is laid out, it is not good. Oh, boy. Tim, if you had a yearly event uh, going back to 1985, 1986-ish, yeah. what do you think would be the best way to order that event? Would it be by year? 
Uh, yes? Okay, well, that's not what Peacock is doing. <laughs> they're doing it by seasons. Oh. So, like, yeah. they're not calling it WrestleMania XXV or whatever. Is that what you mean? No, uh, kind of, yeah. Like, if you want to go back and watch, like, an old oh. WrestleMania, you're not going to go back and watch WrestleMania 17. No. You're going to go back and watch WrestleMania Season 17, <laughs> Episode 1. Wow. And, and wrestling's one of those things like... I remember um, The Soup would have their, like, oh, it's our brand new season. It's like, what do you mean? You never stopped. How can you, how can exactly, you say you have a season? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's always uh, just a, a laughable ratings ploy anytime they do that. The season premiere of Monday Night Raw. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It was just about? on last week. <laughs> Take some downtime if you're gonna have seasons. Yeah. G- give your workers a break. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't get. Well, it's the same reason I don't understand podcast seasons either, unless they're <laughs> unless you actually do take a break. Yes. Yeah, but even then, I'm like, why? Why do you need to? You know, if <laughs> I just it's, if it's not episodic and if it's not, if it's not like serialized, I don't understand why. Like Conan O'Brien needs a friend needs like seasons. You know, it's like, oh, remember season two when he talked to blah 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 like. No, I, 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 he's just been going, and I don't care if he takes summer off or whatever. It's like, I, you know, even I our show. Is, is summer his divider between seasons? I, I don't even know, because, you know, I'm so far behind on my podcast queue that, like, <laughs> yeah. honestly, yeah. maybe that's why it seems no one ever takes a break, because that's when I catch up. But, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, even our show that deals with an episodic, serialized show, I, I disagree with having seasons. You know, like, I don't consider when we move to season eight of Seinfeld, that's our eighth season. I just consider we're on episode 135 or whatever, you know, like we're not <laughs> okay. on season eight, episode uh, seven, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't make Interesting. any sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, but that on the other hand, talking about serialized serial, that's something I can see where they have like, you know, 12 episodes and one is about this and one is, you know, one is about this thing. So like, and they take years off in between and like, that's where I'm like, oh, the new season of serial is about this new thing or whatever that you know I, I understand sometimes doing it when you know when you're covering one subject like maybe you know what season one of our podcast can be Seinfeld and season two can be the next one How about that <laughs> that's the way I'm gonna delineate it okay okay <laughs> so our first season was 170 80 episodes whatever it is yeah yeah, yeah. So what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> oh, you were talking I, about my peacock. Well, I'm so, uh, I was going to say I'm glad you still are using that that password because I was ready to supply you with it if you if you needed it. Well, thank you. Yeah, no problem. But beware because I'm very close to um dropping Xfinity. So, um, mm. yeah, I'm I'm really thinking about it because of the new Google TV, not to plug them unless they want to send me a free one. Uh the new Google TV, it looks like everything I love about Xfinity's X1. God, this sounds like a commercial. <laughs> I, damn it. I, they better send me one. But it looks like, you know, like where all the apps, you can search across apps. I don't have to open this app to find something or open this app to find something. If I oh, search cool. for an actor, it'll show me all the stuff that actor's in on Hulu, Disney Plus, Amazon, Google. Like it'll show me. And that's what I love about. God. That's what I love about the X1. <laughs> but that's what I but I hate the price. There. I I trashed them. I got back on track. Um yeah, so anyway. Well, no, that, it's, so it's all an ad for Google TV. That's it's all an ad it for is. Google TV, not Xfinity. Yes. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> so if you go to google.tv slash no hugging. Yeah. yeah. You can get one right now for ninety dollars, which is normal price. <laughs> okay. Oh man, I'm gonna have to cut so much of this out. <laughs> 
I think it's all been good, but we just have so much to talk about. Like, I, I, I knew. I know, I know. And that that's what's going to kill me, too, is, like, I'll get 40 minutes in, and we haven't talked about a thing yet. And be like, but this was good. Yeah, but this was all content. And you know what I like? So, Joey Begovdenuts uh, tweeted um, uh, at our last episode. He was like, when people, uh, what was it? When people ask me if I listen oh, to it, your it, show. What was for, it? for a discussion about Seinfeld. <laughs> and then it was the, the super cut of... Jonathan Frake saying you're wrong from uh, Beyond Belief. <laughs> you're wrong. You're wrong. Maybe I'll, you're wrong. <laughs> maybe I'll paste the <laughs> sections I cut out of this into an entirely new file and just release it as a bonus episode or something. <laughs> yeah. The scraps. Although I, I don't know. I, so I was like, you know, but Gov Denuts gets it. <laughs> it's a, it is about Seinfeld, but it isn't. <sighs> oh, my God. Okay, well, any other news or anything? Thankfully, no. Okay. (laughs) If you've never listened to our show before, we are not a research-heavy podcast. I'm watching these episodes for the first time ever. Tim is watching these episodes for the first time in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. We like to have our questions come up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at NoHugging on Twitter or NoHuggingNoLearningShow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, and we will send you a holographic No Hugging, No Learning sticker free of charge. We just need your mailing address so that we can send that out to you. That being said, season eight, episode seven, The Checks, original air date, November 7th, 1996. I was three years, 10 months, and 18 days old. And Tim, if you are counting this episode and every other episode we've got left, we've got 38 episodes until we become a... Um... WrestleMania season by season. Oh, God, please no. Don't do that to me. I'm a wrestling fan, but I could not have a wrestling podcast. There's so fucking many of them. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And they're all bad. Why are they all bad? I shouldn't say them all, but like, (laughs) there's so many that are, hey, I'm going to put my iPhone in the middle of this nine foot (laughs) table and we're going to sit on both ends of the long side of the table and just talk at our normal room tone. (laughs) I, I wish, you know what? Maybe we could finally do the first good one, except for the fact that I know nothing about wrestling. But let's see. This is, this is exactly what it sounds like. I like it. I can't believe that they put Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair in the main event. This is a travesty. So, Ted, let's talk about that WrestleMania where Doink the Clown ran under the... uh, He had, like, a bunch of clowns underneath the ring, and he kept switching places with them. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so if you're looking at TV Guide the night of November 7th, 1996... Uh, you are going to see Jerry receives bundles of small residual checks from his Japanese TV appearance. I kind of hate it, but uh, let's see what we can do with it. At the end of the episode, we start on the street with another one of these cold opens, and Jerry and Elaine are walking, and Jerry starts talking about how many indigestion over-the-counter medication advertisements there are now, and how they've come up with a pretty good shtick because you take it before you get sick. And Elaine is like, wait a second, is this a bit... And she's like, because I'm not in the mood. And 
he keeps talking and and it turns out it is a bit because she's like are you done with your little amusement and he's like oh so you admit you were amused and then she's like yeah but and then she starts critiquing him which is pretty funny like move medication for the well to the front and then really hit the word good (laughs) which i I liked i liked her little critique there i think they could have gotten away with this just being a discussion and not gone so meta with it you know see i liked them going meta with it i thought it was really funny yeah i i I like yeah i I guess i would have liked it both ways but i I didn't see the need for them it it just seemed like they weren't confident in in the bit itself like i I think the the conversation could have stood on its own i think the meta the meta thing worked as well but um i think it was them kind of going like uh this isn't good this is ironic you know like well no it, it was it was pretty funny we open at a restaurant this is cafe paul where we have been before also cafe paul was in season seven jerry takes christine there that's the woman who wears the same dress uh, every time he's seen her oh um, okay yeah. it's at west uh, 61 west 74th street and it is closed now it is now patsy's pizzeria uh, according to google and elaine is there with a guy named brett and they're talking about the furniture his firm the the place he works manufactured all the furniture it was designed by carl farbman and elaine and and him are talking about this carl farbman guy when all of a sudden desperado comes on and he just kind of like enters this fugue state where (laughs) elaine is trying to continue the conversation but he's like staring off like he's got like a thousand yard stare going on and he he even kind of like brushes her he's like the song babe And, and she's like she puts her hand on her chest like she's enamored with it in that moment and as she's telling Jerry in the next scene on the street that what I what I like first of all is she's like first of all she doesn't know who Carl Farman actually is she was just kind of pretending when um you know she was like ooh Farman and, and uh, <laughs> she was like and then later on with Jerry she's like I don't know some designer but she's you know she's like she, he's so generous and sensitive and she's telling Jerry about him getting emotional over Desperado which Jerry kind of scoffs at uh Jerry's line back to Elaine do you caught that right oh where that sounds a little Desperado yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Uh, and they see an umbrella salesman twirling the umbrella, and Jerry's like, "See that? I invented it." Before you know, he came up as a comedian when he was, you know, still uh, trying to become a comedian. He was an umbrella salesman. So Elaine goes up to the umbrella guy and says, "You know, the, Jerry invented this." And the salesman says that Teddy Padillac came up with it. And Jerry's like, "I know Teddy. I worked with him at Forty Eight and Six. And the guy's like, "Yeah, that's where he came up with it." Um, <laughs> And over in Jerry's apartment, Jerry is demonstrating the twirl for George. And George goes, who buys an umbrella? Those are free at the coffee shops and little metal cans. And Jerry's delivery, like, those belong to people. (laughs) (laughs) And and George's face whenever Jerry delivers this, you can tell he just didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And he's like flashing back. He's like, I have stolen so many umbrellas. (laughs) (laughs) Those belong to people. Uh, Kramer comes in with a, uh, an envelope that's full of checks for Jerry from a one-second clip of him that's shown during the opening of a Japanese television show called the Super Terrific Happy Hour, and each check is for like 12 cents. And meanwhile, Kramer tells Jerry and George that he's getting a huge chest of drawers from Brett, and George is getting his carpets cleaned for 25 bucks by the Sunshine Carpet Cleaners, which Kramer says is a religious cult, and they just charge that little amount to get you to to get into the apartment to like sell you on joining the cult and get you to join the cult out on the street jerry has signed a hundred checks so far uh, and his hand is like cramping up i love kramer's hello twelve dollars <laughs> <laughs> signed a hundred checks for 12 bucks god uh, yeah 
And some tourists ask Kramer to take their picture while Jerry sees another umbrella salesman and goes up to talk to him. Kramer tells a tourist, like, hey, look at that. That's Jerry, you know, from the beginning of the super terrific happy hour. And uh, they all laugh at him, miming this lecture on twirling that he's giving to the umbrella salesman. <laughs> I, I love uh, the way Kramer gets them to laugh. He says, he's very famous and it would not be impolite to laugh at his antics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody in America laughs at Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) Over at George's, the carpet cleaners are done, and the head carpet cleaner guy is like, oh, there's uh, one more thing. And George is like, here we go. And the guy's like, you forgot to sign your check. And George is like, is there anything else? And the guy's like, nope. And he's like, unless you need a receipt. He's like, oh, I wish that was all I need. I'm looking for answers. And the guy's like, like life can luck. be so confusing. <laughs> I'm searching for answers everywhere. Yeah, the guy's like, good luck with that. And slams them. They just all walk out. <laughs> so George did not get the hard sell on the cult. What was George wearing here? When have we ever seen him wear a backwards baseball hat? I think this is the exact same hat that he turns backwards when he's hanging with Dan Cortez, Elaine's Elaine's bimbo boyfriend, Tony, because Tony wears his hat backwards. And then George, like in Monks, turns it around. But it's not a snapback. It's like a um, an elastic band yeah. uh, uh, hat. Um, but, yeah, it is weird that he was wearing it backwards because he definitely we the only time we've seen that is when he was when he had the little man crush on Tony. Uh, so it, it was weird, but yeah, it's just, um, you know, every, so, I don't wear my hat backwards very often, but sometimes if I'm like, if I see a hat, I'll grab it and throw it on backwards in the house. Uh, you know, if I have to like take it upstairs or something <laughs> like that, I'll just, maybe that's all it was. Maybe that's all it was. I mean, you know me, I used to always wear my hats backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my snapbacks, but I, uh, I don't know if I've grown out of that or not. Yeah. I, I've, uh, I've moved from snapbacks to five panels. I've never, and dad um, hats. Yeah, uh, dad hats are always too shallow for me. It looks like I'm wearing a yarmulke with a bill. uh, So I can't, I I need like, I need the large to extra large size of the elastic fit hats, like whatever those are. And even those like are too tight. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I got a big old Irish head, but I'm waiting for like, I just read that, you know, that, that skinny jeans are like definitely out and it's all about like, you know, going back to the days of Jinko, I guess. But I'm like, all right. If those are coming back, can hats that have a bill that's kind of curved please come back? Because I am not down with the flat billed hat. I don't know yeah. when it came into fashion, but I've never adopted it, and I'm just ready for like none of my hats are like that, and and I and it's so tough for me to find hats because that's the most popular style right now, and I'm I'm not all about it. I don't like it. Real hats have curves, okay? Real hats <laughs> have curves. That's what I say. Um, uh, up in Jerry's apartment, this is where I noticed, uh, it, it, it did happen earlier, but this is where I noticed that Superman is still on the shelf, and Action Comics number one there on the fridge, and Jerry's hand is cramping up again, and Elaine and Brett come in to deliver the chest of drawers to Kramer. Jerry says something about the chest of drawers. Oh, he's like, uh, it's it's really nice, and, and Jerry's like, oh, I bet it is. Like, I can get you some if that's what you're driving at. It's like, what? No, I, no I, I don't need a chest of drawers. Like, Brett was like so annoying like yeah it's tough to find a a side character that's worse than the main characters but they did it with brett this is i hated this guy from the second he showed up on screen yeah there was um there's something uncomfortable that happened in this scene did you catch it i don't know so jerry's still sitting at the table uh writing his checks his hand is cramping he goes to wave to brett 
And Elaine, like, I think either in the moment said that Jerry was a comedian or had told Brett that Jerry was a comedian. Yeah. But Jerry waves with his cramped hand. Yeah. Brett mimics that and says, oh, yeah, haha, very funny. I'm like, oh, no. I I didn't pick up on that. I kind of I kind of hoped that. <sighs> so what what Ted's driving at if uh, um is I think that it's a joke about the mentally handicapped and uh, Brett, Brett not, thought, not not mentally physically like uh like cerebral palsy. Oh right right right. Well I mean also it could have been like you know like the old I don't even want to I don't even want to say it because it's so awful but you know like like doing that and like like, like the, the Carlos Mencia. Yes, bit, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank God we had that cultural reference of an awful comedian, so I didn't have to like <laughs> explain <Yes>. something awful. <laughs> so yeah, when he would say "derp, no, derp, go, derp" go or whatever, go, go. Oh boy, I'm cutting that out. Oh come on, but I mean, I was just all right. Whatever. No, I, I get it. I get it. I get okay, it. <laughs> all right. But I, I mean, for people who may not, who luckily have maybe never seen Carlos Mencia, first of all, I envy you. But I, I oh, felt like I had to explain boy, yeah. it even more. Um, so so yeah, like. I, I didn't pick up on that, but um, I forget even where I was going with it. But I, but I guess I could see where you might be, and that just makes Brett even worse because Jerry yeah, was not doing right? that. But if Brett thought he was doing that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's hilarious. I, I, that, I heard that, you were a comedian. <laughs> I heard you were a comedian. I didn't know you also made fun of cerebral palsy. That's <laughs> yeah. something I find hilarious. Exactly. Yeah. God. That just makes him even worse, which I'm, you know, I, I, I don't agree with that humor, but I, I'm fine with making Brett look even worse. But I, I, <laughs> I, I guess that's the, yeah, because I didn't know why it would have been funny either, but that's just because it's like a funny way to wave. But, but you're right. I mean, what else could he have been, you know, because Elaine didn't think it was funny. She was like, what's with the claw, you know, and then the, but Brett's actually like, ah, hilarious way to wave, dude, because it makes fun of people who are afflicted, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, what? <laughs> Um, I guess that's I guess that's what he thought. Yeah, he's like, oh, you know, I don't need a chest of drawers. And he's like, yeah, of course. What you need is a good desk to write your skits. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's like, uh, I, I don't write skits. He's like, of course not. You don't have a good desk. <laughs> uh, but that's like the diminutive way you talk. I mean, uh, like, be us having been in radio is like people like that's the way people talk about that. Like, oh, you know, yeah, when you do your funny little skits on the radio, it's like that's not I we don't that's not what we you know. It's like when people try to. To talk it down. We've talked about this several times. People try to talk down the profession for whatever reason. I've never been able to figure it out. And I've been in the you know, the business for a very long time. Um, <laughs> but it, it was definitely Brett, you know, being trying to, you know, make himself look better than Jerry. Saying like, oh, you know, you write your little skits at this little desk. That's the other thing. He was just so, you know, like, it happens later. And I didn't get this scene because he's like, oh, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll fax you over my catalog. And Elaine's like, ooh, Brett, uh, Jerry uh, doesn't have a fax machine. And Brett's like, oh, well, I'm uh, sure things will pick up for you soon. And Jerry is ashamed in that moment. He has a look of shame like, uh, well, you know, God, I, I, I've been meaning to get, you know, like he, he is ashamed that he does not have a, a fax machine. Were fax machines still big? Uh, I guess they point? I guess they must have been. But like and my dad had one, but it wasn't like for social reasons. I'm like, why would anybody, yeah, why would Jerry... had a social fax machine? Yeah, like it's talked about, like my dad had one because sometimes he needed to like send business faxes from home. Like it, it I don't think they were ever so commonplace that it was like a, a mark of shame if you didn't have one, like a smartphone. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, he doesn't have a, a smartphone. He's got, you know, whatever. It's like, oh my gosh, you know. 
It's like, oh, you need a fax machine so you can get faxed all that. What? <laughs> Why do you need it? it uh, as far as I know, it was always used for business, but for some reason, maybe maybe people had it in the 90s. I don't know. And then Elaine and Brett are like, oh, we're going to get something to eat. And he's like, oh, you're going to the coffee shop? And again, Brett laughs at this prospect. And so does Elaine, too. Elaine's being fake as hell in this scene because he's like, oh, I think we can do a little better than that. A coffee shop. You look like you could use a meal at a solid restaurant. And I love... As he's, as he's like poking his belly, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. And I love Jerry starting. I was like, you look like you could... And Elaine's like, Jerry... <laughs> I love that that she just cut him off before he said whatever awesome thing, whatever uh, you know, he was going to unload on him. You look like you could use, <laughs> and uh, they dip at Saxon Company, which is still at six eleven Fifth Avenue, uh, where it's been since nineteen twenty four as uh, Saks Fifth Avenue's flagship store. Kramer is shopping hold with. On, hold what? on, wait, wait a second. What? So Saks Fifth Avenue's flagship store. Is on 6th Avenue? No, 5th Avenue. Did I say 6th Avenue? Oh, okay. I think you did say 6th Avenue. It might have just been a mistake, though. I, I thought it was just like the biggest oh. oopsie. <laughs> it's at 611. <laughs> like... Maybe maybe you heard me say it's at 611 5th Avenue. Oh, maybe. Okay. Anyway. I, I thought it would just be like the biggest oopsie on like the Saks company to... Yeah. No, no, it's put their flagship on on Sixth Avenue instead. That's actually why. So it says Saxon Company at the top. You might have noticed in this exterior shot, as it probably has said since 1924. But and, and that's that was the official name of the company until basically by the public calling them Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh, where are you going, Saks Fifth Avenue? The the actual name of the company was Saxon Company, but so many people called it Saks Fifth Avenue that they were like, "Fine, we'll change our name to Saks Fifth Avenue." <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, oh my God! Uh, Kramer is shopping with the tourists, making them buy three hundred dollar cowboy hats because they have the yen to do it. It's three, it's thirty thousand yen, and I did a little. I had to do the inflation math to find out what we were talking about. So three hundred dollars today is thirty two thousand eight hundred ninety nine yen, but three thousand dollars today is actually three. I'm sorry, three hundred dollars in nineteen ninety six was act is actually five hundred three dollars today. So these are like five hundred dollar. Uh, cowboy hats, which today is 55,161 yen. And just like Italy, it seems like Kramer thinks all exchange rates are one-to-one. That seems to be the, (laughs) if I could explain the joke, that's the comedy of Kramer's entire storyline. So remember when they got out of the cab, Jerry was like, oh, I gave him 2,000 lira. And he was like, 2,000 lira? What are you talking about? Because he thought, you know, the, he again, two thousand dollars. Yeah, the exchange yeah. rate is one to one. So, meanwhile, out on the street, Elaine and Brett are in his car, which looks to be a Ferrari. Uh, so that's kind of nice. And he thinks Jerry is upset that he's not getting free furniture. And Elaine's like, "What? Why would you think that?" He's like, "Well, just uh, look at, you know, he's in that cramped apartment. Not only is he upset with not getting furniture, he's upset with just his lot in life and the cramped furniture and all of his uh, furniture, which is so unfarb, uncarl farbman like. I love that uh, descriptor. And they start to kiss, but Desperado comes on again, and he not only zones out but also shushes Elaine when she keeps talking through his whatever fugue state again that he he gets into when Desperado comes on. He has to stare." off into the distance until it's done uh, over at monks jerry uh, sorry george is complaining that he did not get the cult spiel and this is a great sentiment that i can agree with you know that that sentiment like i don't want to go but i want to be invited 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like oh such God. a it's a complex human emotion that they've kind of nailed pretty well. It's like I don't want to join the cult, but I want them to ask. You know, <laughs> like I remember one time um, Sarah and I were in New Orleans when there was supposedly some giant swingers convention going on. What? Yeah. And we were like, uh oh. <laughs> and even like, you know, we were at we were at um, at bars where like the MCs were mentioning it, and we we're like, okay, so it's it's like a real thing, but we didn't get propositioned once through the whole weekend. <laughs> oh, and I was like, no. I was like, what what Man. makes people think we're not swingers? You know, yeah. <laughs> like we're young, attractive people, uh, you know, unencumbered. You know, but no one propositioned us at all, and and I was like, we're we weren't gonna, you know, have any group sex, but, um, you know, I certainly wanted to be asked. <laughs> it's not like you were wearing your uh, matching shirts that said "We are not swingers" or anything. Yeah, yeah, no, and and but for sure, like all weekend, I was looking around at couples, going like, "Are they swingers? Are they? How do you? How do you tell? I don't know. I mean." You should be. I mean, if there's one place in the universe you should be able to go up and ask somebody if they want to go to an orgy, it's Bourbon Street. You know, and oh nobody God, yeah. asked us. Nobody asked us. You know, I can't believe that. Yeah. So I was offended by that. I, I didn't. You know, I didn't want to go, but I wanted to be invited. Uh, Kramer comes in looking like a, I don't know, some kind of like '90s club promoter in this like shiny or like a Coke dealer on an episode of Miami Vice in this like oh three God. button. And it, and the suit really gave you, I mean, it's a long jacket anyway, but it really gives you, it really made Kramer look even taller. Like he looks like eight feet tall yeah. wearing the suit. <laughs> it's got the collarless shirt too, this like stark white. It's so 90s. It's so unbelievably 90s. Yeah, what, um, did you get Jerry's reference to seeing Kramer's suit? Yes, and I wrote it down because it, it, it kind of went, it went by me at first and I was like, oh yeah, he says Mackie's back in town, which is a yeah. reference to like, again, like a, ni- a late 50s, I would say at the earliest, a late 50s big band pop song called uh, <sighs> Mac the Knife, which is about, I don't know, kind of like a Jack the Ripper style serial killer, honestly. It, it, as I was remembering it, I was like, oh yeah, it was, it was a Bobby Darren song and it's about a guy who like goes around killing women at night and it was like such a weird thing to be such a giant hit at at, at a time when you know you couldn't show couples sleeping together in a bed you know um on tv but it's still it was like a, it was like a, a mammoth hit for this singer bobby darren but yeah that's so that's the end of the song is you know look at old mackie's back or mackie's back in town is something that he he says in the song so that's the reference of course that jerry made is from you know <laughs> the, the, 50s. The, the late 50s <laughs> I would say at the earliest. Um, and they're going dancing at the rainbow room later. And Kramer, you know, so he's like throwing all this, uh, the, the tourist money around thinking that, you know, again, it's, they have all, they have thousands and thousands of yen, which equal dollars. And Kramer suggests doing the pilot in Japan. And George is like, George loves the idea immediately. And he works with networks all the time. Cause they broadcast a lot of major league baseball and George is like, no, the, the pilot failed here. It failed in the U.S. because every time you turn on the TV here, all you see is four morons sitting around their apartment whining about their dates, uh, <laughs> which was kind of another meta joke, but also like could describe, yeah, it could describe a lot of mid '90s TV. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I felt like if he hadn't said four, I would think it was like a direct dig at Friends. Mm, yeah, if he would have just said like. Uh, morons sitting on their couch whining about their dates. It could be anything. It really, yeah, yeah, it, it really could. But definitely the most popular of those style, because you know Seinfeld's more of a show. It is about. I mean, it, they they do that, and it was meta. But um, especially, I like Jerry's face. Like, oh yeah, he like makes a disgusted face. Like, yeah, you're right. 
TV is garbage these days because of that. <laughs> so it, it was a meta joke, but also I guess it was, you know, I don't think it was a dig at anything else, but I wish it was. <laughs> and so they, they go to the Japanese TV offices and Jerry and George are watching the end of the pilot with the executives and they kind of have to explain what's humorous about it to them. And not only that, oh, because of something Kramer mentioned, he's like, yeah, here you're just another apple, but over in Japan, you're an orange, which, by the way, are rare. And so Jerry and George brought oranges to their meeting as a gift. And the executives are like, bag of oranges. Yeah, like a sack of oranges that you'd get for like two bucks at the grocery store. Like, and the execs are like, why? I'm still trying to figure out why they brought us oranges. Um, and Jerry, you know, his hand is still cramping up because of the checks. And so he drops his coffee mug, uh, because his, his, uh, check is, uh, uh, his hand is numb and Jerry's like, and George is like, yep, signing all those checks from the super terrific happy hour. And it's at that point that the, one of the executives goes, you must go now. <laughs> <laughs> Just so final, uh, up in Jerry's apartment, Elaine is telling Jerry about the latest, you know, getting shushed during Desperado. And Jerry's like, why don't you find a song of your own to share? Elaine's like, yeah, our song. And Elaine's like, what about Witchy Woman? And Jerry's like, I don't know that one. And, she, and then she sings it. Ooh, Witchy Woman. He's like, oh, Witchy Woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know Did you know either of these songs? Or were you familiar with Desperado or Witchy Woman? Uh, I'm definitely familiar with Witchy Woman. Oh. I feel like I've heard Desperado, but I didn't recognize it at first. I didn't know if they were both Desperado. I'm more familiar with, but I didn't know if they were both Eagles songs or not. But we might have to dive a little bit into that next week. I'll just write the songs down, and uh, we'll see whether they were both Eagles songs or not. Because I thought they were. And Kramer comes in, but it's weird that Elaine's like, I don't know. I feel like your song, if you ha- if you're a couple with a song, it should have a meaning. It shouldn't just be arbitrary. Like, ooh, what about Witchy Woman? I like that song. That can be our song. Like, what? Yeah. No, it's supposed to like. It's supposed to like mean something. Yeah. Or it, it's an artist that you both like or something. <laughs> yeah. Is is your and Grace's song "Everything Is Awesome" from the Lego Movie? <laughs> it I is not. The... Okay. It is not. No. <laughs> well, then, which My Chemical Romance song is it? No, I'm just. <sighs> <laughs> I just know you guys are both huge, whatever third wave emo fans. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a song? I'm curious now. Uh, y- yeah, kind of. N- nothing that we like definitively definitively say that's our song. Yeah, but kind of. And can you tell us what it is? Oh yeah, I didn't know if you want me to tell you or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you ever heard of this? You probably never heard. You probably never heard this before. <laughs> but uh, it's a song called "Here to Mars" by Coed and Cambria. I know the group, of course, but I do not know the song. Yeah, You're right. It, it's it's off of like uh, what record was it? Uh, not the most recent one, but the one before that. Mm-hmm. And really the only song that anyone knows of Coheed is Welcome Home. Because mm. uh, th- that was their like one commercial radio hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might recognize that one if I if I heard it. Um, my song with... Oh, and is there a reason behind it? Other than like the fact like uh, the, the lyrics of the song are... It's, it's a love song of sorts. Um, that and we've both seen uh, Coheed in concert like okay. s- six or seven wow. times. Yeah, I've seen I've seen them. I think one more time than she has. But together, we've gone at least six times. Wow. Uh, my my song with Sarah is you probably never heard it, Ted. It's by uh, <laughs> a group called Luna, and the song is Love Dust, and it's because when we, like the the 
we, we uh, started kind of long distancy, and the first time I went down there to visit her, it was like the only CD, or, or like one of the only CDs I brought with me. I brought it inside, and like it was just in the CD player all night long, and it just kept repeating and kept repeating, and that's the first track <laughs> on the album. And so, yeah, it was it was really the beginning from the very beginning of our relationship, and it, it's a nice love song. I figured that'd be kind of interesting, a little interesting side discussion there. Um, nice. So Kramer comes in to get some pillows because not only did they get kicked out of the rain, rainbow room because they couldn't pay the check, his Japanese friends are staying with him and not at their suites at the plaza because they ran out of money. He's like, uh, you know, evidently, you know, New York can be very expensive, even with 50,000 yen. And Elaine goes, isn't that only a few hundred dollars? And Kramer goes, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> And so they're sleeping in the drawers of his uh, giant oversized Carl Farbman uh, chest of drawers. And Jerry's like, oh, this has international incident written all over it. <laughs> uh, and we cut to Kramer's apartment where he is closing up the Japanese tourists in the drawers and saying goodnight for the night and then uh, turning off the light. And in Jerry's apartment the next morning, he is making Rice Krispies because, as he tells Jerry, eats East meets West because they're oh Japanese. So, of course... They want rice for uh, breakfast. And then we cut to Brett's car again, where Elaine is playing Witchy Woman for him. And she's like, I thought it could be our song. And he's like, well, Witchy Woman's okay for you, but I already have a song. And she's like, okay, well, what about Desperado? We can share it. And I love Brett's, no, it's mine. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's immediately at that point, there's like a crack of thunder and it starts to storm. No, it's mine. <laughs> Over at Kramer's, he is serving breakfast to the uh, Japanese tourists, and he knocks like housekeeping on the middle drawer. He's like, hey, uh, I got to make up the drawer. And the guy inside <laughs> is like, come back in half an hour. And out on the street, it's raining, and Jerry uh, tries to buy an umbrella from the guy we saw earlier. And Teddy Padillac happens to be there. And he says that Jerry bailed on Teddy. Uh, and, and Jerry's like, oh, come on. You know, I, uh, I was trying to be a comedian. And he's like, yeah, well, where were you during the... Uh, he's like, we had some good times. Remember Tropical Storm Renee? I think I'm going to look that up and see. Uh, I don't remember Tropical Storm Renee. So we'll have to see what the deal with that is mm-hmm. uh, regarding NYC. And he's like, yeah, well, where were you during the poncho crisis of 84? And now we got that urban sombrero to contend with as a guy walks by (laughs) wearing elaine's urban sombrero which up until this point was a massive failure and they're gonna he teddy wants to charge uh, you know jerry's like can i buy an umbrella he's like sure two hundred dollars for a foul weather friend uh we cut to yankee stadium where kramer comes in to give uh his japanese friends a tour but it's raining so they can't go out on the field and instead they're going to show them the pilot episode of jerry's show and meanwhile wilhelm comes by george's office and says the carpet cleaners are there george is like they uh they haven't talked to you yet wilhelm's like about what and george is like what kind of stuck up cult is this does that mean that he was (laughs) upset that wilhelm hadn't gotten the hard sell yet too i think so okay because that i was like i was confused by the ending what that meant at this point you know uh but yeah i guess the fact that they haven't tried to sell wilhelm either he's uh, upset about that uh, out on the street brett rolls by as jerry is standing in the pouring rain and <laughs> jerry tells him he didn't have enough money for an umbrella which first of all <laughs> he didn't have two hundred dollars on him this is the first time jerry has anything less than a than a thousand on him i think yeah he found it maybe he was just maybe he was like well i don't need cash because i'm gonna go get all these checks in cash you know instead of putting them in the bank i'll just you know i don't <laughs> I, want I'm, too I'm, much money i'm about to go get twelve dollars in cash <laughs> yeah so i don't need to carry so first of all i'm surprised that but then second of all 
that's why he didn't buy the umbrella because he did so if he had the two hundred dollars he would have bought an umbrella for two hundred dollars yeah and honestly i feel like it would be the most jerry thing to show up teddy padillac give him the two hundred dollars and buy the umbrella as a big fuck you yeah totally like yeah 200 bucks no problem I'm a successful comedian now. I've been on The Tonight Show multiple times. Yeah, he probably would be more than willing. I guess that's why he was like, no, I didn't have the money. But if I did, I definitely would have paid 200 bucks for an umbrella. Because, uh, you know, that's nothing to me. Um, and, and he notices that the signatures are disappearing on the checks. This is like this is back to George being caught in the most awkward moments by his girlfriend's mom that one time, like cleaning the guy's windshield with a cup of coffee in his hand, you know? Like, yeah. So George like, no, I didn't have enough money for an umbrella <laughs> from a guy on the street. And then the signatures are disappearing from his checks. And, and uh, Brett's like, oh, don't worry. I'll spot you the 12 cents. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then he's like, oh, I'd give you a ride, but I got Carl Farbman in here. <laughs> and there is like, <laughs> just another random dude, I, you know, presumably Carl Farbman sitting in the, in the passenger seat. Back up in Jerry's apartment, Jerry is drying the checks all over his apartment. And Elaine says, witchy woman was a no-go. And, and then just picks another song like out of the ether. Like, how about Oye Como Va? Like, now it's in Spanish. Like, we don't even know. I don't even know what that song means. And you're just yeah. like. Picking random classic rock songs as your... I don't know if that's a love song, you know? Uh, George comes in and says the Japanese guys love the pilot, and now that he has his own market research, he's going to bring them all to... He's going to bring the pilot to NBC. And Jerry's like, NBC? He's like, yeah, Nakahoma Broadcasting Corporation. This was, was good. That was, that was, that was gold. <laughs> oh, uh, God. I hate that I say that that was gold. Gold, oh, Jerry. God. Gold. Oh. Uh, and George is like, all right, I got to go into Kramer's. Uh, and Kramer is in there drinking sake in the hot tub with all of the Japanese guys. And they're all wearing all of their $300 cowboy hats. Uh, and George is like, all right, don't forget, early morning tomorrow, we got to go down to the uh, the, the offices. Uh, and Oh, did you, oh yeah. um, did you catch, uh, as George is leaving, Jerry tells him, George, if they make you an offer, anything at all, <laughs> take it. Yes. Because they have nothing left to lose with this pilot. And even as George is leaving, he's like, hey, uh, what do you think about the assistant, Miss uh, Yoshimura? <laughs> yeah. You think she likes me? Yeah. You think she Just likes the, me? retreading the exact same plot points. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Uh, in Jerry's apartment, Jerry's hand is cramping up again. Uh, out on the street, uh, Kramer is on his way to uh, this is uh, in the street in front of the broadcasting it looked like it looked like this nbc was also in 30 rock which was kind of funny um <laughs> that'd be hilarious if it, there were two nbcs <laughs> at 30 rock it looked like the same building i gotta say um, <laughs> and kramer is on his way to cash in the airline tickets for food money for the japanese guys and i'm like Dude, they won't be able to get home. Just send them home. Yes, yes, send them home. <laughs> um, like, you are going to, like, they're just going to be homeless on the streets of New York. Like, they're just not going to be able to get back. You're you're abandoning them. Um, and he's like, oh, I let the guy sleep in. And George calls Jerry in a panic, which is funny. He's like, the guy's running sake in the hot tub, and they're in the drawers, and you got to go wake him up. And Jerry pulls the old gag like, Uncle Leo? <laughs> <laughs> which we've seen multiple times who is he normally says who is this who is this which i love so in kramer's he runs over to kramer's and the drawers won't open i guess because the, the you know the steam from the hot tub uh warped the wood and he can't get a good grip to open them because one of his one of his hands he can't even use his dominant hand and elaine and brett show up with a gift umbrella um and and brett's like i know it's not a chest of drawers but i really want to do this and, and it's like an ugly 
rainbow umbrella, <laughs> probably that he bought on the street from one of those merchants. He may have, actually. Yeah, because he's like, I know he's jealous of the chest of drawers, but this will make it at least a little better. And then they hear yelling from Kramer's, and they walk in to Kramer's to see Jerry using an axe on the Farbman chest of drawers, uh, which Brett kind of jumps towards to protect uh, over at NBC, they are uh, sp- the, the the Japanese guys did show up and they're speaking Japanese, saying that Jerry Seinfeld is a dangerous lunatic <laughs> who came at them with an axe. And the executives suspect George is unbalanced too. And George is kind of like smiling dumbly and has no idea uh, what they're saying about him, uh, but just kind of like nodding and smiling. Meanwhile, the Sunshine Cleaners show up and Wilhelm is with them, and he's he as he tells George, most of the world is carpet, and one day. We will do all the cleaning. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> also, I love George's uh, just frustrated yell uh, to him. You brainwashed. What's he got that I don't have? <laughs> and then the main guy acknowledges it. And he just goes, Meh. yeah, he shrugs. <laughs> and then he's like, Wilhelm, you got to get out. This is a cult. He's like, Wilhelm, my name is Tanya. <laughs> Then the executives say, with these two idiots, I don't know how the Yankees ever won the World Series. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. We do get one last little bit in Jerry's apartment where Elaine is icing Brett's head because it got hit by the axe handle protecting the drawers. And Elaine and Jerry start singing Desperado to him as he collapses on the table. And we cut to an ambulance. And then later at the hospital, Dr. George Wallace the famous comedian. Uh, oh, wow. Is the doctor here. Yeah. I didn't even catch this. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. George Wallace uh, is uh, working on Brett as Witchy Woman starts playing and the doctor zones out as the sounds of Brett crashing are, are heard. Uh, and that's the end of the episode in total. Oh, boy. Okay. What do we got for homework this week? Uh, I wrote down, oh, just a, kind of a, a shallow dive on the on Desperado and Witchy Woman. I believe they're both Eagles songs, but we'll we'll find out a little bit more about them. And Tropical Storm Renee. What was okay. the deal with that and New York City and when it happened and stuff like that. And that's it. All right. What do you like for cover art this week? Ooh, man. I mean, the the Japanese guys in the drawers is a funny, <laughs> that's a funny visual. Um, what else was there? Uh, maybe Brett staring off into into space, uh, listening to Desperado. Um, I don't know. What are you thinking? I don't know. I really had nothing in mind. I had nothing like noted. Uh, maybe Jerry and George sitting on. I like when Jerry and George are sitting on the couch and, and the guys like they're explaining the show to him. And you know he's like, in your legal system, this is common. And Jerry's like, no, that's what makes it such a humorous situation. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I just forgot to throw that in. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know what else. There's we no got. like great visual gags. Although I do, I do really like all three of the guys in the dresser. That is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The you know Kramer shutting the dresser up, or, or maybe even the morning after with you know what like where you can see two of them. Like the guy on top is sitting on the dresser. The guy in the bottom drawer is, and Kramer's knocking on the middle drawer. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. There's something there. Or Kramer in his Coke dealer suit. That was pretty good, too. That would be good, too. Because <laughs> you got Jerry and George in that scene, too. So All lots right, of let's options. See, let's see what we can do about the episode description. So we had Jerry receives bundles of small residual checks from his Japanese TV appearance. And it was not as racially offensive <laughs> as I thought it would be. 
going into the episode, so I'm glad for that. Yeah, the, the closest I think we got is it's possible, and I didn't even rewind this or look at the captions or anything, but before George goes in to Kramer's when they're in the hot tub, it's possible Kramer was doing some of his like fake foreign language uh, you know, like fake Japanese talking. I, I thought I yeah. might have heard a little bit of that, mm. but but I got I didn't catch even, that. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't even go back to check. So I, I uh, you know, that that's maybe as close as we got. But yeah, we didn't we didn't really um we didn't really touch that line, which was good. <laughs> yeah, it's a good line not to touch. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so what do you what do you think would make this better? I don't mind it as is. I mean that does happen, but I feel like it's such a small part of the episode. I would really I'm I I, I I really think like Kramer makes friends with Japanese tourists would be a better you know, that seems to really be the, the turning point of the whole thing. You know, I mean, it does, you know, have to do with Jerry being on this show. But, yeah, um, you know, there's that. And I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mind including something about Elaine and her boyfriend in the song. But I, I feel like Kramer and, and his new friends, that really... That's, that's really, the main thing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the, the main thing. That's the A story, I think. Yeah, and even George gets tied up in there, even though the carpet cleaning thing is kind of his his A story. You know, I, I think Kramer makes friends with Japanese tourists is a better. I, I like that better. I don't. I don't mind that. Just that because I, I like it. I like it as just that. Yeah, I'm fine with just that. I, I wouldn't mind throwing something else in, but uh, you know, like Kramer makes friends with Japanese tourists and Jerry and George dot 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 with them. You know, some somehow, but uh, but I don't think we need it. Yeah. I don't even know what I'd put in, in uh, at the end of that sentence. Uh, okay. So next week we've got season eight episode, or I guess I should just ask, should we, we should probably do this before we go into the next uh, episode description. What did you think of this episode? Again, I, I, I liked talking about it better than watching it. it. It didn't wow me again, but it's, you know, it's a good, it's a, it was a funny, again, a good baseline Seinfeld episode. We're still at that baseline for me. What about you? I'm in the exact same boat. I yeah. I like talking about it a lot more than watching it. Um, yeah. Like th- there were there were some laughs, but it's a very average episode. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But there were definitely a few good laughs. I got a lot of I got a got a lot of got got a lot a lot of got. Um, I got I got a few good laughs out of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay. Well, while we move from an average episode to an episode that I can't ever seem to escape the references to <laughs> next week we've got season eight episode eight the chicken roaster original air date november 14th 1996 and if you're looking in tv guide that night uh hopefully it's not as confusing as how hulu has it written mm. because hulu's description for the chicken roaster says the chicken roaster full colon a celebrity opens a chicken restaurant in jerry's neighborhood Okay, I noticed that, and I thought it was just something they did for every episode. Like the episode title started the synopsis, but but I but I noticed it for the first time this episode, and I was like, "Huh, that's weird." But yeah, okay, I, so it is weird. It is weird. It yeah, is weird. Th- th- this one, this one, and I think we've had like maybe one or two other ones that have done this. <laughs> well, I already see how we can make it better. <laughs> yeah, I have an idea. <laughs> Um, all right, so that's next week. Uh, is that it? Uh, I think that's it. And you know, despite like our long tangents, I think we came in and all the cuts yeah. that I will end up making, we didn't go too long on this one, I don't think. I, I don't think it's abnormally long, so it's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and for No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.